If you have a Bible with you, please open it to Exodus chapter 40. Uh, We're starting at verse 33. This is the last sermon in Exodus, which we started a year ago. Um, And, you know, when you reach the top of a mountain, like a long, long journey, what I always do, I don't know if this is everybody, I always turn around and look behind me and see where we came from, right? Kind of that's what we're doing today is when you reach the end of Exodus, you're invited to think of the entire story and all that it means, right? So we've been kind of walking a few verses at a time through Exodus, sometimes a few chapters now. We want to keep in mind all of Exodus. So read with me Exodus chapter 40, uh, starting at verse 33 and finishing out the book. It says, And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that the the truth that your word not only tells, but shows, would be living, active, and transformative for your people now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh. You know, it's not often that a positive news story dominates the headlines. But y'all remember a few years ago when that, uh, that soccer team of Thai kids, it, is this, yeah, the, they, they were stuck in a cave. You guys remember this? Everybody remember this? This was all over the news. And, uh, and, and what it was is, is you know, they, were, they had finished soccer practice. It was one of their birthdays. Like they had some candy or something like that and thought it'd be a good idea to go into a cave. And their coach is like, yeah, good idea to go into a cave. And so they go in the cave and, and like, like it started raining, like monsoon rain, and the cave started flooding behind them, right? So they had to retreat further and further in until they, were, they found this little, I guess they call it a, a beach. It's not what I think of when I think of going to the beach, but they found a beach where they, they were safe temporarily, but no one knew where they were until they found the bikes outside the cave. And then, and then they figured out, these kids are inside the cave and there was all that, you know, that huge hullabaloo about the rescue and everything else. And, and you, you guys all know they, they, they were fine. Um, but here's one thing that was so interesting during the whole coverage of this when we were all waiting with bated breath while the kids were still in the cave is that child psychologists said, you know, the, the fact that they've been in a cave for 10 days is going to take months and years for them to get back to normal physically, emotionally, and psychologically, right? They had, they had had to adapt, right? Amazing ability to adapt the, 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 the inside of the cave. They learned how to be cave folk for temper, you know, like, like they're licking the walls to get water, all that water, and it wasn't clean. They had to lick the walls to get water and, and you know, like, like living in the complete dark, like pitch black, this can't see your hand in front of your face, right? Like there's no time markers. There's no anything. 
And, and being in that confined space changed them. They had to adapt and it transformed and shaped them in such a way that these, these young men who lived their whole lives in, in the, you know, breathing the free air and all that, just 10 days meant months, maybe years of recovery. You know, not all prisons are physical. The spiritual, emotional, psychological bondage that we carry around with us from birth shapes us because you have to adapt to live with it. It transforms you. Like those guys were in the cave for 10 days. What if you were in there your whole life? Like what, what, what does that do to you physically, emotionally, mentally? You know, do, do we all become Gollum? You know, is that, is that what happens? Like a bunch of Gollum from Lord of the Rings, old reference, I know. There's a lot of things that are bondage and we're aware of them, that we carry them with us. Addictions. Whether to stuff on the internet, whether to a substance, whether to a habit. Shapes your life. You learn to manage it, right? You learn to live with the guilt, the shame, all of those things. But it, it has an effect on you. It shapes you. It makes you a different person. If you've been a victim of oppression from someone else... Whether living in a political situation or, you know, like a lot of people are born into physical slavery still today or sold into it. It transforms you. It changes you. A lot of you guys have experienced abuse in your life. And even if you're not currently abused, it's going to leave an indelible effect on you. (coughs) Right? To be dominated by someone else like that, even if it's not still happening... It's something you carry with you that shapes you, that changes you. There's also certain bondage we carry with us we stop noticing, like fear. If you think of all of the things that fear holds you back from, like good things, it holds you back from bad things, like, hey, there's a crocodile, I'm going to go say hi. Like, <laughs> that's an appropriate thing for fear to do, but, but like fear holding you back from community, from relationship, from vulnerability, uh, from, from, from striking out in a new direction God is calling you to, right? We all have instances where fear has acted just like a chain. So much so that maybe you don't even realize that it's there, that it's there shaping you, that it's there making you different. Or... Maybe the strongest chain of all, apathy. You know, when you're just kind of checked out, given up. It's really hard to overcome. It shapes one. It changes our character. It influences who we are spiritually. Ironically, there, there are some things that are bondage that we think of as freedom. I'll give you one. Materialism. I don't mean like, like historical materialism like Marxism. I mean... I mean, like, being addicted to stuff. Like, stuff owning you instead of you owning stuff. Here's how I know that in the West we have a huge problem with this. 
Remember 2008? In the West, by and large, people were not in danger of starving. But, you know, everybody had to kind of take a knock to their lifestyle. And people are like losing it and jumping off of bridges and everything. Right? Why? Because the stuff owns us. Because you can't live without it. Because we're addicted. It's a bondage. Another one we think of as a freedom is, for, for some of us, this isn't a problem. I'll be clear. But for a lot of us, the desire to be perfect to perfect yourself, whether that's physically or spiritually or professionally or academically or whatever. Like, like there's a motor on you and you've got to get better and better and better at whatever it is that you're driven to be perfect at. So much so, you can't stop. Maybe my favorite favorite shackle that we think of as freedom is independence. You know? Y'all know I hate the Eagles, right? (laughs) So they have this terrible song called Desperado that we all know. And there's one lyric that sucks, but it's true. It says, freedom, that's just some people talking. Your prison is walking this world all alone. Desperado. Think of this. Think of what independence actually requires. Keeping your options open means being uncommitted. Well, that's great. What does that hold you back from? Community. Marriage. Love. Family. Intimacy. Having a dog. Okay? Like, like independence is a very... It's, it's, it's adamant shackles that we think of as freedom. And it all shapes us. And we've lived with it our whole lives. So much so that many of us have stopped noticing, but we've become cave folk. You know? When we look at the big picture, the cover to cover, from the beginning of the story to the end of the story of Exodus, what do we see? We see that God is revealed as a God who brings people out of bondage who breaks shackles, who brings people out of prisons, sometimes against their will, and into promise. Even if you look at our website, that's what the sermon series is called. So it's a bit of a clue, I hope. How does he do this? What promises do we see just in this last text? Why is this the culmination of Exodus, right? Well, we're going to go through it. He brings us out of, out of bondage into promise, the first promise is transformation. Brings us out of bondage into transformation. Second, out of bondage into his presence. And third, out of bondage into hope. Transformation, presence, hope. So when we, when we, when we look at the first page of Exodus, the people were in obvious bondage. They were slaves in Egypt, right? Like, political, social status, slaves. They were making bricks. They were forced down mines where most people died. They were farming. They were doing all those things, right? The interesting thing is that very quickly in the book of Exodus, we also see that their bondage was within. Okay, so, so God delivers them out of the power of Pharaoh. What happens as soon as they're in the desert? They're free. They're like, can we go back? Like, we had meat pots there. Remember the meat pots, y'all? 
Those are, those are hot fire meat pots. There's some cucumbers going on. Sure, you know, we were enslaved and whatnot. But meat pots! All we have is this stupid miracle bread that God gives us every day. Freedom sucks! Can we go back to bondage? Right? So I've heard it said, it took maybe a couple months to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took like 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. They brought their bondage with them. Right? They had been shaped by their experience in a way that, that required transformation. Verse 33 here, well, the reason I included this verse, it, it, and, and let's look at it again. It says, And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. If you guys were here for the last sermon I preached about the tabernacle, you remember how important it is out of 40 chapters in Exodus, 12 are devoted to the building of the tent, of the tabernacle, right? It's super important. Now, the first half of those comes before the golden calf. Remember, the golden calf is the big, like, they jumped the shark. I mean, they jumped the fonts. <laughs> That's a deep, deep cut, happy days. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but the point is, is, is they, they, they just made the covenant, and then they turned to another god. And God remakes the covenant with them. And then after this whole, uh, uh, you know, this whole rupture and repair, then the, the next thing we see is them carrying out what God said in building the tabernacle, right? In the, the first six chapters of building the tabernacle, God's like, do it like this. And then the, the six chapters leading up to this, it's like, and they did it like that. That's, and that's why, uh, you know, in, in, this, in, 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 in this verse, it's just, it's summing up, like the people are changed. They're ready to obey God now. And the work is finished. We see a transformation, right? If you track their arc from the beginning when they're slaves to the end now, they are different people. And by the way, if you look at the next book, right? The next narrative book, Numbers, they relapse again. Right? The transformation's not over, but God has led them out of bondage and into transformation. They change. It, it's, in all seriousness, what, some of those, like you may have heard yourself, your own story in your own life and, and some of those descriptions of bondage earlier, right? Of, of where where we're held back of, of these spiritual and emotional and, right, and sometimes physical things that are our chains. And the truth is, is getting rid of that is scary to some of us. You can't imagine your life without those things, right? Like, oh, what if I did have to part with some of my wealth? <laughs> Can I do that? Am I... Am I, am I it, it, me, I could do that. Like, like, I'm afraid of everything. I'm held back by fear all the time. Could I actually take brave steps towards flourishing? I'm held back by fear, right? Or I've, got, I've had this addiction for 20 years. You're telling me? <laughs> like, this, this comforts me, actually. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know how I could live without it. Here's the thing. You don't stay the same. God leading you out of bondage is part of the transformation. Like when we go with them, we change. 
Uh, back when I was 31, quite some time ago now, uh, I was like, uh, my last year of seminary, and, you know, I was overweight. I was not in shape at all. Uh, I was just studying and raising two kids, and, and I was, yeah, not, not physically doing great. And so I said, okay, I got I to get in shape here. And so I said, well, I'm, you know, a poor seminary student. I can run. That, that'll work. And so I was like, all right, nothing to it but to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do this in high school, like for PE and whatnot. Here we go. And so I start running. You know, I'm like, oh, God. I turn around. My front door is right there. I'm like, I can get anywhere. And so I'm like, okay, all right, you need the strategy. You can't just go full out. Just like kind of take a nice, take a nice heel toe kind of nice and easy, and just run consistently for 20 minutes. That was my plan. And so I go, you know, not going to break any records, but just going to keep going for 20 minutes. Oh, my knees really hurt now. Oh, my feet really hurt. My back too? Dang. Okay, I can't breathe anymore. Don't look at your watch. Don't look at your watch. You'll be disappointed. And then I just kept going until I was about to die. And I was like, surely I've got like 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, two minutes. Oh, my gosh. Right? But the thing is, is, I kept going. And as I went, right, things got stronger. I dropped some weight. And my lungs got stronger. And, and, and like everything started to adapt to what I was trying to do. And, and, you know, like I've done marathons and stuff at this point. I'm not, again, not breaking any records. But, the, but when you go, you transform. Right? That, that's part of it, is the very act of trusting God and going with God leads to transformation. Yeah, you can't imagine yourself without the shackles right now. But you're not going to be the same. As you trust God and go, you change. God leads us out of bondage and into transformation. But there's something really important. I don't want you to hear me say, it's all up to you and your effort. This, this is really, really important. Like the, those boys in the cave. Like, you know, someone who's unfamiliar with the story might be like, why, why can't they just go back out of the cave? And the answer is, I brought a little map for you. It's really cool. Um, there's, a, there's a documentary. It's gripping. Uh, so here's a little map, right? This is where the boys are. Uh, you see, everybody can see that, right? Do you see the entrance? What's between there is a bunch of flooded cave. And it's not to hear flooded, it's to hear flooded. Okay? So remember, pitch black, little teeny spaces, uh, and underwater for something like a full kilometer. Okay? Like, I'm a good swimmer, I'd, I'd be dead. You could give me, like, all the gear, I'd be, still be dead. <laughs> okay? So, like, they didn't have lights. They didn't have underwater breathing apparatus. They didn't have, they couldn't swim. None of these boys could actually swim, right? So they're stuck. They can't get out on their own, can they? What, what happened is the, the first thing is like the Thai Navy SEALs came in, but even they didn't have like a, like Navy SEALs, I don't know how much time they spend in underwater caves, you know? And so like all of these specialized people who for their lives, like a hobby or whatever, or like cave divers. Like, that's what they're into. They're like, hey, we're here. We dive in caves. You need... Right? And so they brought the boys the, the gear and the, 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 the lights and, and everything else. But even more so, they, they actually had to knock the boys unconscious. Did you guys know that? 
because the boys would just panic, right, in those situations. These, these, these guys and gals were very accustomed to being in, in the caves, but any ordinary person would just freak out, right? And so literally they had to, they, the, they had to like put on all the gear and then knock the kid out and swim the kid like to the holes, push him through to someone on the other side. It took outside intervention. They were unable to bring themselves from this prison to freedom by themselves. In the same way, right? Like when we look at the book of Exodus, Israel didn't free themselves, did they? Like when, when you really look and really think about the Israelites' contribution to their freedom, what was it? What about Moses? Neither of them are the hero, right? What did the Israelites actually do? They didn't believe. They wanted to go back. They turned on Moses, right? That was their contribution. They worshiped a golden calf, <laughs> turned away from God like, oh, it's been, it's been 40 days. I think I'm going to worship another God. <laughs> like that was their contribution. Moses didn't do all that well either. Aaron, don't get me started. <laughs> what we see is that God is the hero here, Right? That, that the people, even when they wanted to go back, God stuck with them. Even when they turned to another God, God sticks with them. That he is bringing them out of bondage and into his presence. And that's what we see here. Uh, you know, that, that's why this is the climax of the story in verses 34 and 35. They, they do all the things. They build the tent and look, it says, Then the cloud covered, the cloud of his presence, that is, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God wasn't just bringing them out so they could have fun in the desert, right? He was bringing them to himself. And this is so key. This, this is really the centerpiece of what we understand Christian spirituality to be. It's not self-improvement or self-perfection or getting there on your own effort. Instead, it's that there's a new presence in your life, that we're actually united with Jesus, that we are transformed and brought out of our bondage because there's, a new, there's someone new living with us, okay? You might feel like a failure, you know? You've, you've tried to get free from this stuff. You've heard about this. You know, you want to flourish, but you failed. And you may feel like that makes you unworthy and like you had your chance. Let me ask you this. Did you set up a golden calf and perform fertility rites for it? And were you worshiping? Did, did you, anybody? No? It's kind of short of that, right? Well, guess what? You're in luck. <laughs> because God stuck with his people even when they completely turned away from them, worshiped another God, rejected him, right? That, you haven't beat that failure. You're not that good at failing, <laughs> I dissed your failure. That's bad. <laughs> My failure too. A lot of us feel helpless. Like I'm powerless over this. And you're right. You're like those boys sitting in there in, in the dark, faced by a, a, a kilometer of flooded caves. You can't get up by yourself. It requires the presence of another, of one who can. 
a lot of us have a conception of God as like the Simon Cowell in the sky, just grading your performance. I wasn't very good. You should just give up, work at Starbucks, whatever. Don't say, not that working at Starbucks is bad, just instead of singing. You know where God is in this situation? He's not grading your performance. He's the one swimming in the, the cave thing, right? That's God's role in you coming out of bondage and into his presence. And, and, but there's, there's another really important part to this. It's that the journey is never over. Well, when we look at the last verses, right, uh, 36 through 38, It says, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, that's pointing forward, isn't it? It's saying this isn't the end of the story. This, This whole thing keeps going. It keeps going all the way to the land of promise. It keeps going all the way through the book of Joshua, through the hard times of the judges. It goes all the way through, through David and the temple and, and the rest of it, all the way up to Jesus. And guess what? It's still going now, right? Like we're still in the middle of this story. God isn't done. More is to come. And this is really important. That God leads us not only out of bondage and into transformation in his presence, but also into hope. Here's why that's key. Some of us have been walking with Christ for a long time. Some of you, your whole lives. And you look at your life and you say, I am still so bound in so many places. You know, yeah, God has been working this plan of redemption for his creation. And we look at the state of the world and we say, there is so much brokenness. There is so much bondage. There is so much still left to be done. You're correct. But the whole point that it's not done gives us hope. Why? Because you're not the finished product. That more is coming. In fact, if, if you sat there and took stock, if I gave everybody 20 minutes and a piece of paper, you'll say, hey, write down for me the places where God has delivered you since you started walking with Jesus. If you're, if you're a Christian. You'd come up with a good list, right? right? And, and if we say, okay, yeah, yeah, the world's a mess, but let's look at what God has done so far. Now let's take what God has done in your life, let's take what God has done in the world, and now put it in the future. It won't be the same things again. It'll be new things. That's hopeful, isn't it? A a, a lot of the time we become such prisoners of the moment, we can't imagine a future reality where we're different. You know, if I had like a one pastor wish, it would be... Okay, I don't know why I do this to myself. But, all right, so there's an old commercial from when I was a kid. It was a milk commercial. Milk used to advertise heavily, right? And uh, some of you guys might remember it. I don't think it could run today, but it started with a mirror and this little kid, maybe eight years old, holding a glass of milk, going up to the mirror. 
And he, he had this really awful, awful sort of like Gumba accent. And he's like, what babe is going to want a skinny little kid like me? As if eight-year-old boys are actually thinking about that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, but then like this other kid walks into the mirror who's him but a little older. Like him at like 10 years old, 12 years old. He's like, hey kid, don't worry. By the time you're 12, you're going to be captain of the sports team. And, you know, you're to be super popular. Just keep drinking milk and work it out. Like, <laughs> literally, you could go back and watch the, the commercial. And, and, you know, successive older versions of himself who have been drinking milk uh, come out until the culmination of his life, which apparently was as a senior in high school. You know, he's like, I'm the senior year you. This is your girlfriend. She's just here to look pretty. Because it was the 80s, and we were still okay with that. <laughs> But I wish I had that mirror, not for milk, but for, but for who you were going to be in five years. Because I can't tell you the number of times I've been sitting with someone who just can't see, can't imagine that they'll be any different. Can't imagine that God's actually going to deliver. And sometimes change is so slow that you don't notice that you're changing, Right? But God leads us out of bondage and into hope. You keep walking with Christ steadily. You keep laying hold of God's grace. You transform. And that's hopeful. Yes, that bondage is still there. But God isn't done with you. This ledger of things that God has set you free from already, the things that God has done, brought you into greater flourishing, maybe not physically, (laughs) But, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally, right? Like you're going to keep piling up the W's if you keep walking with Jesus. You have setbacks, right? But God leads us out of bondage and into hope. When we look at the big picture of Exodus, we see that God leads his people out of their bondage and into transformation. This is who God is. He leads them out of of bondage and into his presence and into hope. You know, there had to come a moment for those boys in the cave, right? Like anyone ever gone under anesthesia for a surgery or something like that? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Like you have to say yes to it. For them, it was was far greater. They had to like put on all that gear and then say, hey, hey, I'm going to knock you out and I'm going to drag you through a flooded cave. You good with that? And they had to say yes and go with them, right? Like it's pot, like to, to a certain extent, maybe in the short term, it would have felt safer. It would have felt better. It would have felt more comfortable, less scary to stay right where they were. They had learned how to live in the cave. In the same way, like God is saying to each of us, do you want to go? Do you want to leave the bondage behind? Do you want to enter into transformation? his presence, and hope. We can stay where we are. We can choose to say no, to ignore God, to ignore his call to us. Or you can take that step towards sobriety or breaking addiction. You can can trust in God and move away from that abusive situation. You can let yourself be jolted out of that apathy. 
you can take the brave step of setting up a time with one of our elders or deacons or myself or a counselor and starting to starting to take a look at what happened in your childhood or in the past things that you have not told anybody but are exercising a powerful hold on you right now you can choose to be faithfully generous instead of grasping at every penny because I need it, I need it, I need it God wants you free from the bondage are we going to go?